Chapter Fifteen of Benjamin Franklin by Robin McCown. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. America's First Ambassador. In the spring after the signing of the treaty with France, Silas Dean was recalled to America. John Adams was sent to take his place. Franklin invited him and his wife Abigail to stay with him at Passy and arranged for their ten-year-old son john quincy to go to school with benjamin bache the comfortable life at passy made puritan-minded adams uncomfortable though franklin's taste in dress and food was exceedingly simple compared to the french aristocrats with whom he had to keep company adams found him extravagant he felt it a waste of money that arthur lee should have separate quarters in paris at the same time he objected that no rent was paid at passy and vainly tried to get chaumont to accept payment he could not help himself basically it was simply impossible for him to approve of someone like benjamin franklin he loves his ease hates to offend and seldom gives any opinion till obliged to do it although he has as determined a soul as any man yet it is his constant policy never to say yes or no decidedly but when he cannot avoid it john adams was a man who always said yes or no decidedly never having like franklin learned from socrates that if you wish to convince people making them think for themselves is more effective than bludgeoning them but as he was essentially honest adams did not deny that franklin was beloved by the french as he would never be his name was familiar to government and people he wrote later to king courtiers nobility clergy and philosophers as well as plebeians to such a degree that there was scarcely a peasant or a citizen a valet de chambre coachman or footman a lady's chambermaid or a scullion in a kitchen who was not familiar with it and who did not consider him a friend to humankind when they spoke of him they seemed to think he was to restore the golden age in one of the many elaborate ceremonies organized in franklin's honor a crown of laurel was placed on his white hair by the most beautiful of three hundred women admirers at another a walking-stick with a gold head wrought in the form of a cap of liberty was presented to him a poem composed for the occasion was read the wood of the cane it said had been seized on the plains of marathon by the goddess of liberty before she abandoned greece it had been transported to switzerland where the valiant mountaineers fought against invading austrians more recently it had been seen at trenton where washington defeated the british by possession of this symbol of victory benjamin franklin was assured of a place in the temple of memory franklin's french friends had long been hoping for a meeting between him and voltaire considered the two most enlightened men of the eighteenth century in february seventeen seventy eight after an exile of more than twenty-eight years voltaire returned to spend the last four months of his life in paris with his grandson temple franklin called to pay his respects to the great philosopher voltaire was then eighty-four lean and emaciated but he still had the fiery spirit that had kept all europe in an uproar over the major part of his life 
he insisted on greeting the illustrious and wise franklin in english and held his hand over temple's head in blessing pronouncing the words god and liberty there was a more publicized meeting in april at the academy of sciences the audience seeing both present clamored to have them introduced to each other obligingly they stepped forward and bowed to each other the spectators were not yet satisfied they wanted them to embrace each other in the french manner only when franklin and voltaire put their arms around each other and kissed each other's cheeks did the tumult subside that year the french sculptor jean-antoine houdon who had immortalized voltaire in marble did his bust of franklin catching his likeness better than any other had done and that baron turgot the french minister of finance made his most famous epigram about franklin he snatched the lightning from the sky and the sceptre from the tyrants vainly franklin protested that other americans able and brave men deserved credit for the revolution on september fourteenth seventeen seventy eight congress revoked the commission of three and elected franklin sole plenipotentiary to france america's first official ambassador to a foreign land with only temple and a clerk to help him with detail work he was in actual fact consul-general consultant on american affairs propagandist for america and the part which pleased franklin least but which he performed expertly official beggar to the court of versailles for the ever-increasing sums of money which congress instructed him to procure for their costly war with his other duties he was director of naval affairs judge of the admiralty and in effect if not in name overseas secretary of the navy in this capacity in march of seventeen seventy nine he wrote a passport for the pacific explorer captain james cook instructing commanders of american ships that cook and his crew should be treated as common friends to mankind and allowed to go on their way the sad news had not reached europe a month before franklin's instructions cook had been killed by natives on the hawaiian islands ever since his arrival in france he had been concerned with the plight of captured american seamen whom the english kept in foul prisons and treated not as prisoners of war but as traitors charged with high treason and subject to execution to lord stormont the british ambassador he had sent a formal plea requesting the exchange of american prisoners for english ones man for man it was ignored a second came back unopened with a note the king's ambassador receives no letters from rebels but when they come to implore his majesty's mercy through an english friend david hartley franklin sent money for the relief of the american prisoners and generous englishmen added to the fund that was all that could be done until some nine months after the signing of the treaty with france when he received reluctant consent from the london ministry for prisoner exchange there was still the problem of getting sufficient english prisoners for the exchange before the treaty british seamen on the prizes which american ships brought into french ports had to be set free by maritime law with france now officially at war with england the ban no longer applied but there were still far fewer english prisoners in france than american ones in england 
in may seventeen seventy nine as minister of the united states at the court of france franklin signed a commission for captain stephen marchant of boston on the privateer the black prince to operate off the north coast of france the black prince was so named for her sleek lines her black sides and her reputation as one of the swiftest vessels ever to run a cargo franklin's instructions to the captain were brief and explicit he was to bring in all the prisoners possible to relieve so many of our countrymen from their captivity in england he only found out later that captain marchant was a figurehead the real commander of the black prince was a twenty-five-year-old irishman named luke ryan with a dazzling record as a smuggler an honourable profession in an ireland reduced to starvation by repressive english trade regulations the success of the black prince was phenomenal twenty-nine prizes including a recapture in the space of two months and eleven days franklin gave commissions to two sister privateers the black princess and the fear not their combined efforts produced a total of a hundred and fourteen british vessels of all descriptions brought into free ports burned scuttled or ransomed they created havoc with coastal trade in the english irish and scotch seas embarrassed the british admiralty caused marine insurance rates to soar franklin was proud of his three privateers and must have had a vicarious thrill in their exploits his own role in the affair became increasingly worrisome each prize was judged in the local marine court of the port where it was brought sometimes there were delays resulting in the loss of perishable cargo and voluble cries of protest from the crews who saw their prize money diminishing daily in due time franklin as judge of the admiralty received the bulky and voluminous report handwritten and of course in french it was up to him and temple to appraise the contents if the venture was to be kept going unfortunately much as the privateers disrupted english shipping the number of prisoners was far fewer than franklin had hoped sometimes there was no room for prisoners on shipboard or when there were captive ships to man not enough men to guard prisoners franklin proposed that the privateer captains get sea paroles from those they set free but the british stubbornly refused to honor the paroles in prisoner exchange there were also numerous british seamen who gladly joined the privateer crews finding their free life far preferable to the cruel discipline of the british navy aside from his privateers franklin pinned his hope on a scottish-born american seaman with a colorful past named john paul jones in seventeen seventy eight jones had captured the drake the first british warship to surrender to a continental vessel he had come to brest from america in the ranger which had raided english and scottish coasts taking seven prizes red tape kept jones idle for some months after that but at length he was given an aged and decrepit french forty-gun ship which he renamed the bonhomme richard the french translation of poor richard in september seventeen seventy nine the bonhomme richard closed in on the superior british frigate the serapis in a battle which lasted three and a half hours when the hull of the bonhomme richard was pierced her decks ripped 
her hold filling with water and fires destroying her the british captain asked if they were ready to surrender sir i have not yet begun to fight jones reportedly replied while his ship was sinking he and his men boarded the serapis and took her captive exultantly franklin prepared his dispatch to congress announcing one of the most obstinate and bloody conflicts that has happened in this war with even greater pleasure he reported three weeks later that john paul jones was safe in texel north holland with some five hundred british prisoners in paris soon afterward the welcome given the hero of the bonhomme richard rivalled only franklin's reception there at home the war was going drearily combined american forces failed to win savannah from the british a british expedition took charleston the british general cornwallis marching inland routed general horatio gates england now at war with holland captured tiny st eustatius thus cutting off america's chief west indian source of supplies benedict arnold had turned traitor and the british had moved their army from philadelphia to new york the beige family who had been living in the country returned to find that the officers who had occupied their house had carried off some of franklin's musical instruments temple's school books and some electrical apparatus the portrait of franklin done by benjamin wilson had also vanished it turned out that it had been taken by the english spy major john andre it reached england but was later restored to the white house in washington in nineteen o six in the spring of seventeen eighty one franklin received two american visitors at passy young colonel john lawrence son of the former congress president henry lawrence and thomas paine there was another financial crisis in congress and they had come to request a loan of a million pounds sterling each year for the duration franklin had foreseen the need and could tell them he had already had a promise of an outright gift of six million livres since july seventeen eighty general rochambeau and six thousand fully equipped french regulars were in america waiting for the auspicious time to join the conflict france had its own to protect now the tide turned that year the valiant general nathaniel green nephew by marriage of franklin's friend catherine ray green together with daniel morgan light horse harry lee and francis marion known as the swamp fox harassed cornwallis into virginia where general lafayette in charge of his first command forced him on to the peninsula of yorktown to lafayette's aid came two armies the american one led by washington and the french one led by rochambeau the siege lasted just nine days cornwallis surrendered on october eighteenth seventeen eighty one the news reached franklin at eleven o'clock on the night of november nineteenth just one month later the defeat of cornwallis at yorktown marked the unofficial end of the war though george the third refused to believe it in his disordered mental state he could not face the reality of the enormous budget asked from an empty treasury nearly everyone knew that the former american colonies were lost to the british empire forever franklin wrote congress offering his resignation planning that 
if it were accepted he would take his grandsons on a tour in italy and germany congress had other plans for him along with john adams and john jay of new york he was chosen a commissioner to negotiate the formal peace with great britain i have never known a peace made even the most advantageous franklin wrote john adams that was not censured as inadequate i esteem it however an honor john jay and his family came to stay at passy as the adams family had done maria jay aged one and a half years formed a singular attachment to the ancient philosopher which he claimed he would never forget the peace negotiations dragged on month after month seemingly interminable in april seventeen eighty two in the midst of them franklin was stricken with a kidney stone which disabled him the rest of his life from then on even the jolting of his carriage over the cobblestone streets was unbearably painful he refused either to have an operation or take drugs you may judge that my disease is not very grievous he wrote john jay since i am more afraid of the medicine than the malady the preliminary anglo-american peace terms were finally signed on november thirtieth seventeen eighty two and on september third seventeen eighty three came the signing of the treaty of paris in which great britain at last acknowledged the independence of the united states the achievement of this treaty by franklin with john adams and john jay would be labelled the greatest triumph in the history of american diplomacy may we never see another war wrote franklin to josiah quincy for in my opinion there never was a good war or a bad peace the times that tried men's souls are over wrote thomas paine in america franklin was seventy-seven sick with gout dropsy and half a dozen minor ailments besides his dreadful stone but his mind was as keen and his soul as full of fun as a youth of twenty no one ever had a more glorious old age than he was having End of chapter fifteen